This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we deep dive into the fifth element. Like Zorg, we frequently try to make deals with the shadow, trying to maximize what we can get out of this life. But it's when our plans backfire that we realize our need for a savior, and that's when Jesus shows up. But it's not to judge, criticize, or condemn us. Rather, it's an invitation to love, adventure, and purpose. Grab your multi-pass, and let's discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald, and joining me on the Riverside studio all the way from Missouri is Andrew Winch. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing today? Hey, doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you can make it. And and he was just mentioning as we were rolling up, he's like, oh, I forgot to tell my wife I was recording. And I frequently <laughs> will have that if I don't. We have a, my wife and I have a signal. If my office door is closed, then then she's. Typically, it's okay to, to enter. Sometimes if I'm writing it in the flow or working on something, I was like, oh, I really don't like being interrupted. Yeah. But there's a second door at the bottom of the stairs. And so it's like, if both doors are shut, that's basically my light that says we're on air. <laughs> the sanctum sanctorum. <laughs> that's right. I have the, the first the temple and then my office is the holy of holies, basically. Right. And hopefully I don't get struck by lightning right now. <laughs> So I guess we'll find out. It'll so, be a good podcast. It'll be a really short one or it'll be a great <laughs> one. We'll, we'll, we'll come to find out. So uh, I met Andrew a, a couple of weeks ago virtually. This is, uh, we've been spent about, uh, let's see, oh, about half an hour now just chit-chatting before, which is actually a short time when Britt and I, but Britt introduced us on Facebook. And so, you know, Britt from Realm Makers. Yes. And so, so yeah, so tell me how about how you met Britt and a little bit about Realm Makers and why you go to that. Yeah, I met Britt a few years ago at Realm Makers. So I started going to Realm Makers the first, uh, well, since its inception, which is, I guess this is the 10th year now. Um, I know wow. uh, Scott and Becky. Yeah, they did the Back well. to the Future theme, right? To celebrate yeah. the 10th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. I uh, dressed up as a Morlock uh, for the skit this year. So that was sweaty. Uh, <laughs> well, so, I mean, we'll just you and I know what is. Morlocks <laughs> are. <laughs> and so from the time machine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what? Yeah. The books. Yes, we have. Yeah. Books. So, yes, you should you should read books. But also there's an amazing uh, film adaptation of it from probably 98, I would say. Um, yeah. I love. I watched um, like the one from the fifties or sixties or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't admit that I, I can't get into the classics too well, uh, but now yeah. the nineties are becoming the classics. So I guess the older I get, the more chance I'm going to love. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I I do a skit at Realm Makers every year, and this year I was. Uh, I was actually the time traveler um, from the movie, the time or the book, the time machine and the movie, the time machine. It's never actually given a name, which was fun creating the skit for it. And uh, 
I dressed up <laughs> as him, dressed up as a Morlock because I was afraid that everyone at the conference had devolved into Morlocks and I was afraid of being eaten by them, mm. you know, as, as a typical Realm Makers conference goes. So that should kind of give you a, an insight into the, uh, the strange creativity that goes on at these conferences. But I've been there, like I said, since the beginning. I met Brett, I think probably four years ago. Um, we, you know, shared common interests, obviously in, in, in Christ and, uh, in, in creativity. And it, it, he would kind of, he gravitated toward the same friend group that I did. So we didn't ever have a chance to sit down and talk one-on-one too much over the years, um, until this past year, uh, whenever, you know, our, we were kind of hanging out just, uh, three or four of us. And I, I got to, to talk to him a little bit, uh, a little bit more intimately about, uh, you know, kind of our passions and, and got to know each other a lot better. And and as you you said, you called. We we talk about our drinking here occasionally when okay. I when I record in the evening. I'll have a I'll have a beverage. So yeah, why and, didn't and we record? The in cool the thing evening. you make your huh? <laughs> I said yeah. Why didn't we record in the evening? <laughs> <laughs> I'm over well, here drinking orange time, juice. Next time we'll record in the evening and we'll we'll, yes. we'll be we'll be uh, toasting together. There will be live. Um, so, but you make your own, you said you made some blackberry moonshine and uh, yeah. some uh, a, a Belgian quad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, that, that was my, uh, my COVID hobby uh, was getting into, uh, <laughs> was getting into brewing and uh, I, if it can be brewed, I've tried it. I haven't, well, I haven't tried um, any rice wine yet, but I'm, I'm on the cusp. I'm also getting ready to make a rum. Uh, so I am in Missouri. So it is, it is more, uh, more legal here <laughs> to do, you know, any sort of alcohol making that you want to. Uh, so let's get that out on the table. You know, I can but, cut that if you're worried if the uh, ATF agents are going to bust down your door. Or no, from watching YouTube videos and seeing the amount of stuff that people do and, you know, even people even admit to selling it and stuff, which is absolutely bonkers. And, you know, it's, it's a different world we live in now and it's, it's just for me, you know, so I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little old me so so you're a you're a physical therapist there in missouri yes which is like in realm makers is a uh conference for sci-fi fantasy writers christian sci-fi and fantasy right. authors writers yeah and so i see if you're if you get to watch we'll be we'll post something on youtube about the diva dance and yeah. all that because it's such a great visual such a great scene so check out our YouTube channel at Men at the Movies. We'll we'll be you'll be seeing us, hearing us while that's that scene is going on. But you have a Havoc t-shirt on. I do. And so tell us a little bit about what you do with Havoc. So I have been again, I've been with Havoc since its inception. It was it was owned by a parent company again about 10 years ago. Uh, but then I guess it's been we're on season seven. So it's been four years ago now that um, I acquired Havoc. So um, I am majority owner and editor in chief of the company. And so what we do, uh, we publish flash fiction stories. So they're stories under a thousand words and it's, it's all fiction, hence the name flash fiction, but uh, we, we, <laughs> right. It's brilliant. So we publish across genres with, within fiction. We, Obviously, have a love of speculative fiction, all things sci-fi, fantasy, but we don't exclusively publish that. Um, we publish one 
flash fiction story every weekday and every day has a different genre. So it's mystery Monday, techno Tuesday, which is science fiction, wacky Wednesday, which is humor, thriller Thursday and fantasy Friday. So you can go on the website, which is gohavoc.com. That's G O H A V O K.com. And not C K. Yeah. We're creative. <laughs> Uh, but (laughs) (laughs) and it's backward too so we're like super creative Uh, (laughs) but you can read these stories for free the day that they're published and then you go on there and you can comment you can upvote them there's no downvoting and there's no negative comments it's a it's a, a positive creative uplifting community and then the best of those stories, the 30 best stories, actually get published in an anthology every six months. So we have themes like, uh, so you won't be able to see it if you're just reading or listening to the podcast, but I'm holding up our most, um, what was this, season five. So it's not our most recent one. It's two, two anthologies ago. But uh, we published them in a, a, a physical copy of the anthology, which you can get on Amazon. You can get through our website, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we have some exclusive content in there as well. I publish a story in each anthology and things like that. So it's kind of a fun, progressive uh, competition. You know, you uh, you submit stories. Yeah. Uh, if they get acquired, you get put on the website and then you get, you know, voted for. And it's not just a popularity contest. The majority of the weight of what gets published in the anthology comes from the editors. Um, so the stories that we like best, though, we do take those um, readings, reader audience uh, uh preferences into account so then you know you get in the, the anthology and there's an editor's choice and there's an, um, a reader's choice so it's just a fun um, way to publish you know unpublished authors or newer authors you know we have featured authors and things like that in each anthology but i think in the last three and a half years we, I, I know we've published over a thousand stories which I don't know many publications that can say that. So that's something that we're really proud of is that we're giving writers a chance to get their name out there. So it's been a worthwhile endeavor for sure. Yeah. And the fact that it's a thousand words or less, and just to put that in, in perspective, typically a page is about 250 words. So this is a story in less than four pages. (laughs) So should take you less than five minutes to read it. Yeah. So Definitely check it out. Interesting stories. And if you don't like it, you haven't really lost anything because it's less than five minutes. You know, you're yeah. probably how how long do you spend scrolling on Instagram or or uh, Twitter or Facebook? I mean, you can lose half an hour in the blink of an eye on Facebook. Absolutely. So do something a little more productive and check out some stories from new authors. And you, n- you never know, you might discover the next up and coming, you know guy or girl yeah. who's going to be writing something awesome down the road. And there are so, links to all those uh, authors, bios and websites in each story. So if you do happen to like what they write specifically, you can go on and like you said, find yourself a new author. So. Yeah. And I'm always looking for new people to read. So yeah. <laughs> especially uh, I, I don't write the uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff, but I love reading it. So, you know, I, I mean, I read, I've read Lord of the Rings mm. so many times and Robin Hobb and Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah. I love those, those people. Um, but you didn't come to hear us nerd out about books. <laughs> Let's nerd out about <laughs> other things. Yeah. We're going to nerd out about a movie. So we're talking about the fifth element today. You've got Bruce Willis, Mia Jovovich, Gary Oldman, yes. who, uh, it's it's interesting. I read something that said he didn't really like this movie, but basically was doing it for a paycheck. 
but he did a pretty good job. You know, you've seen some actors really sort of mail it in and, and he doesn't really mail it in. He almost goes the other direction and uh, really overacts probably. Yeah. Yeah. There's one scene. I, I don't want to jump ahead, but there's, there's very few scenes in this movie that I felt like could have been the dialogue could have been written better. And there's one scene where Zor, where somebody comes up to Zork, he's the owner of a, you know, a giant conglomerate corporation, nefarious corporation. And uh, his little minion comes up and says, sir, we need to fire 10,000 people. You know, um, we don't know where to fire them from. <laughs> he turns around and says, fire a million. <laughs> you know, like it was such a Dr. Right. Evil moment. It's like, really? Right. <laughs> But short of that, you know, it was almost endearing, you know, but, but yeah, that's uh, it was a funny, funny scene for me. And so in these movies, and this movie came out in 97 in these movies in the nineties, is there any corporation who's not nefarious? I mean, they're all <laughs> nefarious, right? How, Absolutely. Where, where do, why do we think conspiracy theorists are, are thriving in today's world? Um, because we were brought up on these movies of the eighties yeah. and nineties where every corporation had some hidden agenda and something going on behind the scenes and all yeah. this stuff. Well, it beats uh, the, the trope where everybody is nefarious in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's just nobody to root for in some things you watch these days. No. So actually, and, and because this is an older movie, we're not, I don't think we're going to go, I think we're going to focus more on specific themes rather than the timeline of the story. Um, so since you brought up Zorg and his nefariousness, <laughs> such a great word. Yeah. Nefarious, not nefariousness. I don't know if nefariousness is a word, but. Oh, it is. sure it is. So you brought up Zorg. John Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. What a name. That's a fantastic name. <laughs> really it was jean baptiste yeah yeah he uh wow. he, he's the only one that says his whole name in the whole movie that just tells you a lot about him there also it is a it's a french french made movie and it was the biggest french made movie for a long time which is which is notable but and again very weird it's it's like a 71 on rotten tomatoes but either yeah. loved by the critics or despised. It was both <laughs> nominated for an Academy Award for sound editing, lost to Titanic. Yeah. I think everything lost yeah. to Titanic that year. Yeah. But also was nominated as like a Raspberry Award or a worst plot, <laughs> worst whatever. Yeah. Like it both got Academy Award and all these other award nomination nominations and wins and then like stinker awards. So it, well, you either because love it or it hate took it. Risks, right? Yeah. I mean, right. any, 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 piece of art that takes risks is going to have, you know, short shortcomings or at least people that think they're shortcomings. But, you know, and you'd mentioned the, you know, the sound editing, it's like, I, I rewatched it last night and I focused on the soundtrack and it's brilliant. You know, I, I don't even remember the name of the, the uh, composer, but it's like, it's got like Lindsay Sterling elements. And it's, it's like, if you're watching Blade Runner and like, Oh, like yeah. Miss Marvel, you know, it's got like those, those, uh, Eastern vibes of it. And it just, oh, it just, it totally immerses you. But yeah, this, the, the music and the score was, was brilliant for sure. Well, and, and as I've been diving into my learning more about movies and the process of movie making and filmmaking, it's interesting how you watch a scene and how much of it is, is created and crafted by the music that you're mm -hmm. watching it to. Like you yeah. think. 
watch as watch one of your favorite scenes and then said, how would this play if there was no music behind it? Because yeah. by the way, that's how it's shot. There's no music playing when the actors are going. Yeah. It's added all in the back background. Sometimes yeah. it's created after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so it's super, it's super interesting to, to sort of take that approach of they were just two people doing this or doing this or that. And they added the music afterwards yeah. um, to, to create that tone and that, that vibe of the thing, as they say. Well, and fifth element was, you know, they did use a lot of practical effects. They, you know, they didn't use a ton of CGI other than, you know, where they had to, but yeah, newer movies too, you know, just, just acting out an entire scene in front of a green screen, you know, that I can't imagine the difficulty level. So when we look at Zorg and the shadow, uh, Mm. you know, the shadow is the big bad, uh, the big ball of fire uh, described as, and, and I can't remember if, it actually had a name, uh, but it was sort of, it was, it was just evil. Yeah. And he had a, he had a cryptic, uh, like ancient name that was mentioned in the beginning. I can't remember it. And then it was, it was named, it was, um, called, uh, Mr. Uh, what did I say it was earlier? Anyway, Mr. Yeah. Shadow, Mr. Shadow. That's right. Yeah. Which just is a in case you had any were any concerns, any thoughts, what side he might be on. It's right. Mr. Shadow's calling. And also, anytime anybody has any face-to-face communication with it, they bleed it, uh, inexplicably from their forehead, black blood, and not from like a. There's no fissure there; it just it just kind of appears. There's just black blood that runs down their head. So that's not a good thing. As a health professional, yeah. I can tell you that that is not healthy. <laughs> if you have blood dripping down your face, you may need to seek emergency medical attention. <laughs> That's our plug. That's our PSA for today. That's right. So we look at Zorg and and he's been interested in acquiring these stones. If you're not familiar with the movie, there's basically, it opens in an Egyptian crypt and it's a really interesting way to open it. And this guy discovers this thing. It was like, oh, evil comes every 5,000 years, but you put these five stones together with a perfect being, supreme being, and they create the fifth element that defeats evil. Oh, and you did forget to mention one of the stars is Luke Perry. He is in that beginning scene. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, the first Luke 30 Perry seconds fan. of the movie is there. <laughs> <laughs> the old 90210. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> My wife loves yeah. that show. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's that's a great framework for a movie the stones not luke perry (laughs) hey what you got against luke perry (laughs) (laughs) so you have this setup that evil is coming you need these stones you need this thing to set up because only this person and and as the they say we'll probably play the clip here but we're i want to focus more on zorg here and the shadow that's coming so evil is coming and zorg being the head of this nefarious corporation being named Jean-Baptiste Zorg. I mean, Zorg is just a bad guy name. Yeah. Yeah. He's paired up with him because he's some, some sort of arms dealer. He's, he works, he's disruptive as he has this scene with the priest where he talks about how destruction and chaos actually create order and organization and all this other stuff. How, bad guys rationalize their way of looking at the world. But specifically, we want to get to this conversation 
and it's and it's probably about two thirds of the way through the movie where we're getting close. Zorg has been assigned to find these stones to prevent evil from losing because evil knows shadow knows it's <laughs> the shadow knows <laughs> not to go way old school. <laughs> the shadow knows that uh, the only way it can lose is if through this fifth element. And so Zorg has been tasked to finding the stones because he's, I guess, the most evil guy on the planet. So Shadow is working with him. I told you I do not want to be disturbed. I know you don't want to be disturbed, except if it's Mr. Shadow and it's Mr. Shadow on the line. Zorg here. Am I disturbing you? No, 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 no. no. I was just. Where are you? Far now. Good. Good, good. How are the stones? Fine. Just fine. I'll have to hear. I'll have to uh, the, the four stones that you asked for any time now, but, but, but it wasn't easy. My costs have tripled. Well, and yeah, so that was the scene with the blood running down the forehead as well. Um, so yeah. I, I just adore that scene, both from the ambiguity of it and like his blind ignorance and greed, Zorgs that is. Um, you know, it starts out with it, Shadow's first words are, am I disturbing you? You know, it's such a layered statement. And uh, he gives... You don't put gives, Mr. Shadow on hold. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he gives Zorg every single chance to tell the truth or to try to get out or to, you know, uh, speak his mind or to grovel or whatever. But Zorg is, he's clearly terrified. I mean, there's there's absolutely no hiding his amount of fear at the sheer power of Mr. Shadow. And he knows this. But in the face of that, he's still buried with greed. You know, he says, my costs have tripled, which is which is bonkers in so many ways. You know, one, to stand up against ultimate evil and say, I want more money while you're making my skull bleed. Um, and then two, <laughs> to be so ridiculous as to say money means anything in the face of ultimate evil. Um you know, and I'm, I'm tempted to say ultimate power because that's how Zord sees it in this moment is, is um, Shadow has, you know, ultimate power, ultimate sway over the universe. And he's basically and Zorg's basically trying to get in line. Um, but he also, again, he is so blinded by his his personal success that he thinks he can stand toe to toe with with um, Mr. Shadow. So I love all of this because it's so symbolic of um, human greed. You know, and the way the evil plays on that, um, it, it's so easy to to worm into um, 
a uh, idle thinking or an exhausted or distracted human spirit. Uh, and that's exactly what Zord represents. It's someone that's just completely distracted with the rat race and with personal power. And um, it's just so easy to manipulate that. And I love this. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the big parts of the fifth element that I like, which I kind of hinted at earlier about, you know, almost the nihilism of a lot of movies now. Um, I, I love the the polar the polarization of good versus evil in these movies because it is easier to uh, to pick out those themes. Uh, and, and life is blurry enough as it is, you know. So it's nice to have uh, something to be able to see a. a an extreme representation of that with, without, you know, all the sheets clothing on that we get day to day. So yeah, to me, this was the, this was the epicenter of the spirit of one side of the movie. And it just, it just epitomized uh, what we're fighting against in our own lives. Right. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Like you said, it, it takes away the, the wool. So we see the yeah. wolf because they're like, Oh yeah. no, that's not a sheep. yeah and the reason that we're doing this this way is because if you if we don't realize if there's no evil there's no need for a super weapon right Right. there's no shadow there's no need of lilu yeah if there's no sin and satan there's no need for jesus right Right. i mean that's that's how it works and until we Mm -hmm. say until we see evil for what it is we don't recognize the need for the the fifth element for the yeah. key person, you know, the, the whatever the Messiah. Yeah, and one important thing to note um, in this movie is that Mister Shadow didn't appear until forty eight hours after he was going to destroy the universe, or forty eight hours before. Um, until then, he was Mythos. You know, there was like you said at the beginning of the movie, they're uncovering some ancient hieroglyphs about the idea of this ultimate evil. And it's basically religion, you know, I mean, they're finding um, old religious texts that are speaking of this ultimate evil. And it's easy just to fall into apocrypha. In fact, there's a, you know, a priestly cast throughout the movie that their job is to keep it quiet because they're trying to keep the, the stones protected from, you know, bad people, nefarious people in the universe. Um, <laughs> so nobody there's uh, evil has done a wonderful job of burying itself um, throughout this movie until the last moment. Uh, which I, you know, again, reflects reality. Yeah. And, and what you see as well as what we frequently do is we try to negotiate with evil mm-hmm. with, with the enemy. Um, yeah. You know, one, one more beer wouldn't hurt. One right. more donut wouldn't hurt. And you might say food and drink aren't really the enemy, but it's when you look at, I'm reading, I've been doing this, read the Bible through a year and we're in Chronicles right now. Mm. And it's really all about Israel turning to the no gods to mm-hmm. that. You might say idol worship. And there's just a lot of context that we don't like you and I in our Western civilized U S U S culture. We're not sitting around. People aren't sitting around with some sort of totem, some sort of statue that they are offering up things to. Yeah. Not that I know. Right. Mooby the cow. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I knew I'd like Andrew as soon as he's on his list of favorite movies was dogma. And we absolutely would do that one, but it's apparently 
so hard to find. It's not streaming. It's not being produced. It's it's he has a DVD, but like, hey, here's this movie nobody can watch anymore. Right. Um, right. But yeah, the movie, the cow. Um, but we <laughs> but look yeah. at well, what 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 things do we turn to to meet our needs? What things do we turn to when we're stressed, when we're anxious, uh, when we don't know what to do? And it is food. I mean, for me, if I have a hard day, I'm wanting some 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 snacks, something to just yeah. put in my mouth. Uh, it could be drink. It could yeah. be, I mean, work could be your idol, the no God that you turn to to make you, yourself feel better. It could be your kids. It could be sports. It could be porn. It could be affairs. It could be the church. It could be, it could be a lot of things that are not God. And we negotiate with that to find peace. Yeah. So like, yeah, we say we worked hard for this thing. So, you know, we, we know that the price of, of saturated fat is, is heart attacks, but we, we deserve it. So my costs have tripled, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I've worked hard. So I deserve three times the amount of the thing that will kill me. Or the, the, the other side of that picture of all I eat is basically if it's a plant, mm-hmm. you know, I don't eat anything processed or, or gluten. And I'm not, I'm saying, I'm not saying anything there's, and I'm not saying, you know, moderation and everything is the key, but anything that you take to the extreme mm-hmm. that becomes what you depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Morgan Snyder puts it like this. He's like the things that you worry about of, are it feels like death if, mm. if I didn't have that thing, if I wasn't in relationship with that person, if I didn't, you know, whatever it is, it feels like death inside. And that's, to me, is kind of a key when, when we're, when you experience that feeling, oh, I might not be, I might not be dealing with the light. I might be dealing with the shadow as mm-hmm. Zorg is in this, in this scenario. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's even if Gary Oldman didn't like his performance, I think the character was was crafted perfectly for the movie for sure. And so as we we mentioned, if there is evil, if there is shadow, um there has to be light. Right. And that's uh, it's there has to be a contrast. Um So Andrew, how is Lilu Lilu is painted as being this messiah character and and it's it's really the way they craft the story throughout and weave these different words and this this perfect perfect is the word that comes up very very often um and so we you wanted to talk about how Lilu both was and was not similar shared a shared an identity or a role with Christ with our with our actual messiah because again, if there's evil, we need a savior from it. So in the movie, we have an evil and, and Lilu is the only one who can save us. Yeah. So like you said, she's, she's described as the perfect being so many times, but she's also described as engineered. Um, you know, whenever she's, I, I, there were some small little details that I noticed the last time I watched it. And so she is, um, uh, she's been uh, encapsulated in a sarcophagus for you know five thousand years, mm-hmm. 
and then you know this these higher aliens take her away uh, for a time, and then they their intention is to bring her back with the stones at the time of the dire need, which is when Mister Shadow shows up. And as she's coming to Earth, they're ambushed. The uh, the spaceship is blown up. And all that's left of her is a is a hand. And the first few times I saw this, I thought that she was the same beings as these big robotic beings that were that were uh, shuttling her. But she just had on a suit, and she was holding on to the handle of the case that the um, stones were in. So she was intimately tied to these stones, um, so much so that even in death, she. Uh, she didn't want to depart from them because they were so important and broke off the handle. But anyway, so she's reconstructed by this, you know, futuristic humanity woven together into perfect Mia Jovovich. And uh, that's the first we see of her. And she's described as having, I think they say 600 lines of code, uh, like DNA strands, whereas yeah. the average human, I, I, you know, I didn't fact check it. Or I don't even remember the exact numbers, but they said the average human has like 12, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's the same right. DNA it's just more tightly woven, so and, and there's no need for it other than to make it more perfect. And uh, they make it very clear that she just created, and they uh, they don't say specifically, but it, to me, their verbiage was that it was created by a race of beings. It wasn't created by whatever was the antithesis of Mr. Shadow or whatever you want to see him as. It wasn't that Egyptian idea of sun and moon. It was it was created by not humanity, but by a higher alien race to combat this thing that they knew was coming. So I think that's one important distinction is that it was created by a created species. So when we see her, she is the response to um, something uncontrollable, whereas, uh, you know, our Messiah um, is infinite and uh, he does have a purpose in, in forgiving our sins and, and for saving humanity, but he is also God. And I think that's a, a very important distinction is, is Lilu was not a, a supreme being in the truest sense in a human body. She is, she is all mortal. Um, so I think that's an important distinction on the surface. Um, but also because of that, she's flawed. Um, all that to say that is that she is a, she and herself can be a sinful creature. She's gluttonous. Um, she is sexual, um, you know, obviously outside of wedlock, which is a, you know, that's, I guess that's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but it is, you know, it is what it is. Um, so she is, is driven, um, not by, um, a set of divine rules, but by preservation of life in general. And they make that very clear throughout the movie that time is not important. Um, life is important. So that's a very, you know, again, that's a very biblical uh, idea. It's not the whole picture, but it is an idea that uh, um, all things in God's time. And I feel like that was a very strong theme that, that uh, propelled her for sure. Because you, you see her and like you said, she's flawed. She comes in and she needs to catch up on what she's missed in the last 5,000 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And that, again, that idea, even this other, this race of people who came in, you know, before World War One, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had, we had talked before about our, our grandparents being involved in World War Two and the Korean yeah. War and stuff. And so this idea that war is coming. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, this race comes to take the stones because they, they, they didn't want the stones to fall into the nefarious hands of whatever's happening. They didn't want to be fought over. 
but this that that concept is as you mentioned it's not god but i think it's frequently looked at as god is this mm-hmm. very distant we'll show up when you need us mm-hmm. when evil rears its head in 300 years we'll be back to give you the stones and activate the fifth element and save the world from evil once again mm-hmm. but until then I'll see you in 5,000 years or 300, you know, when they, when they said it's 300 years are coming back. So we'll see you in 300 years. Yeah. And I think that we look at God that way. A lot of times yeah. is you're just up there. You've got this awesome thing. This, as the priest says in the beginning, this is the key. This perfect being yeah. is the key, which is the true way to look at Christ. But how they do it and how it works out frequently. And we talked about this when we talked about eternals is this, this, this very distant, this uh, rational, logical, cold and calculating God being, but that's not a true picture of who Jesus is and who God is when engaging in our lives, when in our daily fight against the shadow, because our shadows don't, pop up every 5,000 years, they pop up about 5,000 seconds. <laughs> if we can make it that long. <laughs> yeah. And we're, we're constantly battling the shadow for our attention, for our affection. Hmm. And where are we giving that? And, and they did, I thought that when they, they left, they told the priests, as you, you said earlier, your mission now is to pass on the knowledge so that when you need us, hmm will be available, which I do think was very similar to how Jesus, the commission to the disciples of Mm -hmm. take what you've learned and pass it on to others again, so that they'll be ready. Right. Cause I'm coming back. Right. It's going to take a lot longer than you thought, but it's, I'm coming back. Hopefully not 5,000 years. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking a lot about the parallels and the meaning of what they term as love in the movie. Um, you know, because the fifth element is love. Spoiler alert. Um, I think you're supposed to say that before you give the spoiler. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a, what a 25 year old movie. I think spoilers, <laughs> spoilers have expired. Yeah. <laughs> if um, you tune in to, to, to the a podcast talking about the fifth element, you know, we're going to be spoiling the movie. And if you don't, you're Done. probably not our target audience. Done. Um, but <laughs> but the, what's interesting in this movie, in the in the climax, she says, "I don't know love," which is which is very shocking because she is she is framed as the embodiment. You know, again, they call her perfect, but they refer to the fifth element, the love. So you just assume that she is the embodiment of love. But that's not actually the case in the movie. It takes someone loving her to activate the fifth element, which in this case is is Corbin uh, Bruce Willis. And so everything would have died if Corbin hadn't said, I love you. Give me a kiss. You know, and it it is a very strange moment, you know, because they've shown love to each other through the whole movie. You know, a the ultimate uh, sacrifice is laying down your life for your friends, you know, and they've done through this through the whole movie. They've shown that they're committed to each other. They've shown love. Um, but it's just this very trivial. I love you. And then all, everything is fine. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, how that parallels. And it's, it, again, it's just, it, it's, it takes a great idea 
and it and it makes it theatrical, which you know I think is is a little bit dangerous, but and it makes for a cool climax for sure. Let's go, Leo. Wake up, wake up! It's time for you to work now. Protect life. Lelou, Lelou, listen to me, listen to me, listen, listen, I know you're very tired, I know you're very tired, I'll take you on a vacation when we're done, I swear, a real vacation, a real vacation, just you and me, but listen to me, if you don't do something right now, we're all gonna die, you understand? What's the use of saving life when you see what you do with it? It'll be entering the atmosphere in 40 seconds. Lelou, you're right, you're right, you're right, but there are, there are some things... Very nice things worth saving, some beautiful things. Beautiful things. Like love. Yes, yes, love. That's good, that's good. That's a good example. Like love. Love is worth saving. I don't know love. I don't know love. I was built to protect, not to love. So there's no use for me other than this. No, 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 no. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Uh, I need you. I need you very much. Tell her, uh, Colin. Please, do you need me? And then, you know, as you mentioned, the kiss and the big ball of light and everything gets saved. Her her one line, what's the point of saving life when look what you do with it? Mm-hmm. And if you look back in Genesis, I think it's chapter six, right before the flood. God basically said the same thing. Yeah. Cool. Look at what man has done. Look at the abomination look at how far they've come and and again not very long from the actual creation not it doesn't seem like that many generations between adam and eve and reset button right yeah especially if you watch the uh movie adaptation (laughs) with russell crowe yeah (laughs) canon for sure oh for sure um (laughs) But that idea, like, look at what happens. What's the point of saving life? And with with a lot of these movies, it starts with this flawed principle that humans are basically good. Mm-hmm. And what we see in reality is that left to are their own devices. Chaos, disruption, shadow emerges. And, and that's what whether that's Genesis or war or all this, you see, you see the world is a broken place. We live in a fallen world mm-hmm. and that we are basically dead and fallen without the intervention of Christ, without, you know, in the, in this movie, without the intervention of Lilu. Mm-hmm. And it, that's why the shadow told Zorg money doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I'm about to destroy everything. I'll yeah. promise you whatever you want. Cause you're going to die. Yeah. Again, very indicative of how the enemy works with us. I'll make whatever promise you want because once you're my slave, you're mine now. There's no renegotiating. But this idea, and this is what this is what like I want to kind of wrestle around a little bit with. 
how can you protect something you don't love? Hmm. Like she says, I was built to protect, but I don't know love. And I think, again, playing, spiritualizing, doing this, she's lying because she does know love hmm. because she loves Dallas. She loves hmm. the world that she's a part of. Yeah. You know, she, she loves chicken, obviously. Right. Chicken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She, she's very childlike in her wonder, mm -hmm. but she is doing the steps, the process that needs to happen to break Corbin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she's straight up Corbin says, is distant. Right. She knows he loves her, mm -hmm. but he has to be willing to say it. Mm -hmm. She yeah. knows he needs her. And I think Jesus works very similarly with us. Like what I, what I wrote down as when I was watching, we were t emailing and talking. Mm -hmm. You see two different approaches to Lilu with the priest and with Corbin. Mm -hmm. The priest knew who she was, mm -hmm. but had no real relationship with her. Yeah. Like treated her like a weapon. Mm -hmm. Corbin had no idea. Okay, okay, she's this key person. She's this, she's very important. I have no idea why. I've got to go save the world. Lilu, this isn't vacation. You know, that that scene in the sleep thing where where she's like, like, this isn't vacation. This is very serious. I've got a mission. And again, I think we approach life with Christ very similarly. Oh, I've got this calling. I've got this important thing to do. I've got to defend Jesus against everyone out there. You know, the the whatever agendas politically, socially, culturally, I need to go protect the name of Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is like, I protect you. <laughs> You've got it backwards. And we, we think we're on this big mission. We think we're the ones saving the world in his name. When really he just wants, he may not have understood who she was as the fifth element, as the right. perfect being, but he loved her. And I think that's what Jesus wants from us is just yeah. say you love me. Mm -hmm. And diving into Corbin a little bit more, you know, um, within the first dozen, his first dozen lines of the movie, you, you, you come to understand who he is. You know, first he's this decorated, uh, just retired guy that is, is capable of anything. He's, he's flown across the galaxy. He can handle any gun. He's got all this, you know, all this expertise, but none of it has given him fulfillment. He just recently, his wife just recently left him and his friend calls him and says, don't worry, man, there's plenty of fish in the sea. There's plenty of women. He says, I don't want any woman. I want one woman. I want the perfect woman. And he's like, oh, come yes, on. Yes, that was so good. Woman. So then we realized throughout the movie, <laughs> that he doesn't even know that he's looking for this sense of fulfillment, but it comes to him in a way that completely changes his life. Uh, yeah, so I think that's just so powerful. And that's like, and like Lilu did drops into the back of his cab and just says, yeah. please help. Yeah. And, and it's when, like I said, she does those things. She looks that way. She, she asks him those questions. And even that conversation where she asked about war or she said she's in the V she's learning about it. And she's like, what, why did, why do humans always take and destroy what they have? Mm -hmm. And he even says that's human nature. Right. Yeah, that would have been in the H's. 
Um, yeah. So she then she gets the W and the war, and she sees and she sees what we do, what people do with the lives we are given, and we do are prone to destruction and chaos. But the key message of this movie, and I think, and of the gospel, is that love. Whatever I say, love overcomes the darkness. Hmm. Yeah. Because, and it's very interesting as we're going, as I'm doing this Bible reading, we're, we're, we are so tired of the old Testament, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you know, it's been eight months. Imagine being the Israelites waiting for the, the Messiah, the promise to come. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's easy to become dogmatic, you know, if you're, if you're just waiting, you know, if you're, if you're just protecting something and waiting and not living in salvation, living in Christ, you know, so it's easy to understand where the priests were coming from. It was their job. You know, they didn't have any promise of salvation in their lifetime. They just had the duty, you know, of, of staying the course, um, which it was, it was, uh, sanctified and it was, it was so important. Um, but to become jaded in that environment. Um, and then to look upon the face of the Supreme being, just like, uh, uh, the priest did in the movie, you know, the Supreme being, he didn't even want to look at her, you know? So the object of, of your, um, abstract worship over the last 5,000 years of standing in front of you, what do you do with that? You know, obviously fall on your knees, but yeah. And, but that's not, that's our, I think our, uh, religious programmed response. Exactly. Yeah. And what we need to do is more like Corbin. Like yeah. she says, please help. And he's like, this is gonna not end well for me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, as we see, she doesn't really need his help. I mean, she busted through a wall. She, yeah. you know, obviously knows karate and all this stuff. She's fully capable of taking care of herself. Mm hmm. Jesus is fully capable of defending himself. He is our defender. He is our advocate mm -hmm. against the adversary. Mm -hmm. And what we see is she, but she humbles herself to say, help me. She invites Corbin in because she knows what Corbin needs is to experience love. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it's easy to say, well, how does Jesus need us? Jesus doesn't need us. Well, there's no need for a redeemer if there's nothing to redeem. And if you yeah. look when it talks about for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we, the joy is relationship, our relationship mm -hmm. with him. Yeah. Which we, we see reflected maybe somewhat dimly, but it's still reflected in, in the big themes of this movie. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, like you said, that's the charm of the movie is we're trying to, you know, one half of it is trying to save the universe, save save the ability to breathe in oxygen for more generations. But the other half of that is is on a personal level. You know, each individual um, person is important and their relationship is important. And, you know, to see Corbin and Lilu make that connection. And I love the the phrasing you used being invited into that moment to save the universe that, you know, in essence, in that story world, that moment will be told for generations, you know, so the ability to, uh, <laughs> right. you know, so it was a, 
it was a parable of sorts to, to future generations, even though it actually happened. But but just to see that will change future generations and how they will interact with each other and to be able to um, yesterday, my my daughter uh, wanted to buy my wife something for her birthday and uh, she gets twenty dollars a month and she had. $23 to her name. And I was like, well, I mean, you can, <laughs> you know, yeah, how, how it works. And I said, you can help me buy the present that I was going to buy for mommy. So you can be a part of that. I didn't need her $23, but to allow her right. to be a part of that, it's, it, it is huge. Um, so yeah, I, I think that is a, as a cool, cool plot element. And I love how you pulled that in because as, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking, how are we going to make this personal and practical? Because I think that's that's an important piece of this. We take these movies we love, but what does it mean for us personally and practically? And you just gave a great personal example of the fact that Jesus drops into the back of our cabs daily. Mm-hmm. And we get invited daily to to partner with him in a story. And I love that because the priests, you know, evil's not showing up for another 5,000 years, right? according to their uh, theology. Right. But the story that the priests will now share for those next 5,000 years, the wisdom that they pass on is Lilu dropped from the sky into Corbin's cab. And yeah. that's where the story starts for them. And to think that, that again, going back to the, what the Bible says, we have a crowd of witnesses. We have people saying, hey, we're about to change the world it could be for one person. Right. It could be, it could be for ourselves. And so what can we do when, when Jesus drops in and says, please help. Mm-hmm. And it's not because like you said, not with your daughter, I don't need her $23. But right. what she says is I get to buy mom something and my dad's helping me. Yeah. Like that yeah. reverse component of it, of, we get invited to join in, not that God needs us, but because we need it. We need to be invited into a bigger purpose and a larger story. And here's the flip side of that. So I have a hard time being charitable because I'm very independent. So I assume that everybody else is independent as well. So this last (laughs) week I uh, drove past like two, maybe three different people that were broke down on the side of the road. They weren't asking for a ride or anything, you know, but but I always have this strong urge to pull over and I just never do because it's like, Oh, I, I hesitate 0.5 seconds too long and I'm gone. I'm going to work or whatever. So it just, it eats at me. So, um, pulling out of Walmart yesterday, um, there was somebody who was, who was asking for money, you know, he was, he was sitting there, had a sign and stuff. And, uh, typically I would, Oh, I got to get back to work. God is like, okay, enough. You have to give this guy money in order to do that. <laughs> this is amazing. So this guy, <laughs> he's playing a sad song on a tiny violin. True story. This guy is like the embodiment <laughs> of the situation. <laughs> and <laughs> I read the sign and it says like, I'm playing for my family. And then I, I, I actually just stopped reading the rest of the sign. I just like pulled out my wallet and threw my money at him. I was like, yes, keep playing that sad song on the violin. Cause it's like, thank you Lord for, <laughs> for being so blatantly obvious that people have it off worse than me and I need to stop and, you know, go outside of myself. So that has been a huge blessing for me to just, uh, it's almost like a, a cornerstone, you know, or, you know, like a, a handhold. It's like, okay, I can do that. So I can do more, 
you know. So God is super right. cool and giving us uh, opportunities, and then he, and then almost we, we, you know we level up from there. But yeah, yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you for for joining me on this on, to talk about the Fifth Element. Uh, yeah. I forgot how much I enjoyed it until I watched the movie, and I'm like, man, this is such a good movie. Um, it is. So you guys should definitely watch it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun. You know, the music, the scenery, the, the, the writing, cause it's so well, as you mentioned, it, the, the uh, narrative exposition is, is what mm. I call it, where they tell me what the movies, what's going on in the movie where this one, it just, it, you don't have, it, you don't, like you said, you don't know where the diva comes from. You just know mm. she's a key figure and that's yeah. all you need to know. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so I appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's why I love about flash fiction is just, you know, it's uh it's, you jump right into the story, you tell the story and then you're done. And it just set the movie just does such a great job with that. And so I really enjoyed being able to talk about it. I appreciate that for sure. Uh, Paul, it's been a blast. Yeah. So check out, and what was the, what was your website again for those go flash Havoc, fiction stories? Go Havoc with a K with a K dot com. Yeah. <laughs> so go check those out for little, little bursts of, uh, creativity and storytelling and uh, get immersed in a, in a quick story. So go. this has been uh, Paul McDonald and Andrew Winch talking about the fifth element. And we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope that you join us next time here on the men at the movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before, but if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Who am I to be?